I was able to refrain myself from making a few laps around the church. I almost forgot I was a Baptist for a moment. Amen. It's a pleasure and honor to be here with you guys today to stand in for your pastor and my friend. Um, he's down south, I think, doing uh, uh, attending a wedding and is en route back up here, so I'll continue to pray for him, please. But it's been a blessing to kind of get to be friends with him ever since I preached that revival here. And let me just tell you, when your pastor has a pole or a gun in his hand, he has a smile on his face. Amen? And so uh, I'm thankful that the church allows him to go out and have those times um, of refreshing. If you got your word today, please turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I'm just going to hang out here for a, mo- a moment and then go to other uh, places. Romans chapter 8. And I was going to start with verse 38, then 37, and then 36. And I'm just, just going to start at verse 35. Amen. Um, just be thankful I'm not going to read the whole, the whole passage. So I've got to start somewhere. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Romans 8, verse 35. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. It says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Here we go, 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor death, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, ooh, we're excited to be in your house today. We're two or three gather in your name. You gather right here with us. We're thankful you're right here with us today. We need you today, Father. And so, God, I pray that you just preach through me your word. God, we all came to hear from you today, not me. And so, Father, do a work in this church. Do a work in our lives, God. We want to be obedient to whatever you're trying to give to us today. And I pray, as always, Father, that the lost get saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's message is it's really about God's love. It's, you may be seated. And so today's message is about God's love and how God's love chases us and how it pursues us and how it always finds us, amen? Because sometimes we step off the path of God. We, you know, we sin, we step off the path, we get into different circumstances and situations and sometimes we crawl in a hole and sometimes we get thrown into a hole, amen? But listen, God's love is always chasing us. It's always pursuing us and it always finds us. I don't know about y'all, but that is some good news to me. Amen? That is some good news to me. And so I'm going to start with Elijah just a little bit over in 1 Kings 
I guess I'm going to start in 17. You don't have to turn there, but it's kind of Elijah and some of the things that he was going through in his life. In chapter 19, he becomes scared at the threats of Jezebel on his life. He had heard his life was in danger, danger and things outside of his control were spinning, so he takes off running. Elijah takes off running. The same Elijah that over in chapter 17, God used to do some incredible things. I mean, over in chapter 17, he prays to, uh, for, for God to bring back the life of the dead son of the widow that's taken care of him. Let me just read a few scriptures here in 1 Kings 17. God says to Elijah in verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And she was going to get it. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Hey, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Verse 12, but she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you may make one for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her whole household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, because uh, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. I mean, so here... I mean, uh, uh, Elijah is experiencing this part of this miracle. Every day she went to the bowl. Every day she went to the little jar and it just filled back up. Every day God just filled it back up. They were able to just keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. Wow. Wow. And of course, Elijah over in James, I think it's chapter 5, it said about Elijah that he is a man with a nature like ours. Sir, he is just like you. Sir, he is... Just like you, sir, he is just like us. With a nature just like, just a regular man that God was using. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for three and a half years it didn't rain. So they were in this drought, they didn't have anything to eat. Later he prays for it to rain, and it starts raining. But here Elijah just experiences this awesome miracle, and then we see what happens next. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. He died. He just simply dies. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring, me iniqu to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him up from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He goes on, calls out to the Lord, prays for him. I think he lays on him like three times and prays to the Lord and the Lord restores him. He brings him back to life. God does. 
And so Elijah takes the child and walks downstairs and gives him back to his mother. I mean, Elijah just experienced a child being brought back to life. He just experienced that. The next thing we see is over in chapter 18. Elijah experiences the defeating of the prophets of Baal, the 450 that are Baal's prophets, the false little G God. Let me just pick it up here in verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone and left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets were 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen. And let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox, lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all of the people said, that's a good idea. And so that's what they did. Remember, they made two altars here. They placed one oxen on one altar. They, Elijah gets his, places his, builds his, places his on his altar. And then the 450 prophets of Baal start crying out to their little G God to send fire down to consume the sacrifice. And so they cry out. They scream out. Man, this is going on. This is going on. Nothing's happening. And so here Elijah taunts them a little bit. Oh, your God must be out of town. Your God must be on a trip. Your God may be asleep. Maybe y'all need to do something a little bit more. Wake him up. And so they start cutting and slashing themselves, right? That was their way to do things back then. But still no answer, right? Why? Because there's only one big G God. And so, of course, Elijah then says, hey, go get me some water. So he, he, t- he tells the prophets of Baal, you know, hold my water, watch this, right? Amen? No, he didn't say that. <laughs> I just picture him saying that. And so, anyway, he takes the, the, the water and he pours it all over his sacrifice, fills up the little trench with water with his uh, the trench with water uh, for his sacrifice to God, calls upon the Lord, boom, the Lord sends down fire and even laps up the water in the trench. And so he then, then orders the 450 prophets of Baal to be taken down to the brook Kishon and he slays them there. And so he just experiences this huge thing that God did about sending down fire out of heaven And not only that, but in verse 46, I think it's of 18. Right before that, he is is talking to his his servant, and he says uh, in 43, Go up now, look toward the sea. So we went up, looked at and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. And it came back at the seventh hour that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So here he's praying for rain and the rain's coming. 
In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Listen, Ahab had a chariot and a horse, and then it says the Lord came upon uh, Elijah, and he outruns them to the town. So not only did he experience the, the, the flour and the oil, not only did he experience the little child being brought back to life, not only did he experience God sending down fire, not only did he outrun the horse and the chariot, and now over in 19, he is scared and running away from a woman. I mean, it is what it is. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. And then he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey until the wilderness. Man, I'm telling you, he just experienced all of this stuff, and now he is running. He's running. Maybe like Elijah, we've experienced so many awesome things in our life that God has done. We have seen Him do miracles, yet at some times in our life, we find ourselves running. It just seems to happen sometimes. But God's love always chases us. God's love always pursues us. And God's love always finds us. We see in that same chapter, Verse 5, he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And when in that strength of that food... Forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He ate those two little bread cakes, two jars of water, and went for forty days to his destination. Let me just tell you guys something. God will never send you where he can't sustain you. Never. And when he tells you to go and do something, Drop what you're doing and go and do it because he'll take care of everything else. He takes care of it all. There's not a money issue at that point. There's not a health issue at that point. When God says go and do something, he will take care of you to be able to go and do whatever it is. Amen? Amen, preacher. Amen. I mean, God just, God, that's what he does. He takes care of us. He sustains us to be able to handle the things that he wants us to do. But of course, here he's running. Elijah is still running. Then he came to a cave and he lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What 
What are you doing in this cave, Elijah? Why are you hiding, Elijah? Why are you running, Elijah? Sir, ma'am, why are you running? Why are you running? What are you afraid of? It's like, he, it's like he tells me sometimes, man, you've seen the things I'm capable of. Where's your faith at, Kyle? Where's your faith at? And I think that's what he tells all of us at sometimes. Because sometimes we always find ourselves in a cave somewhere. You know, it may not be a, a, a literal cave, but maybe it's a cave in our own thinking, a, a hole in our own mind that we crawl into. We get depressed just like Elijah was. He was depressed. He was ready to throw in the towel. That's what he said in verse 4. After it says he lay down, he just said, that's it, God. That's it. I'm tired. I'm ready to throw in the towel. He says, he requested for himself that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. He just finally, he just gives up. He just says, that's it, God. I'm tired. I'm tired. And that's when God sends his angel to knock on his shoulder. Why? Because God's love is always pursuing us. God's love is always chasing us. And in verse 10, Elijah concluded that he was the only one left. He was the only one that was being obedient. He was the only one out there that was fighting for God. Maybe you used to be a witness for God. Maybe you used to go out and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. And I know, like I have done times in my life, I've looked around and there's only me out knocking on doors. There's only me out trying to, to be a witness, it seems. But you know what God told Elijah? No, Elijah, I got 7,000 more that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. Let me just tell you what, God's always got others being about His business. There's always other warriors out there telling people about Him. There's always other warriors doing stuff. Listen, you need to gird up your loins and get back out into the highways and the byways and start telling people about Christ. Amen? Amen. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. He has others out there. That's what we need to remember. That's what he says in verse 18. Elijah. But you know there's no hole so dark, no adversary so threatening that God's love can't find you. There's no hole so dark. I'm sure it was looking pretty bleak for Daniel. When the king had him thrown into the lion's den, amen. It had to be looking pretty bleak to Daniel. When the king had him thrown in, in there, they placed a large stone on top of the hole and sealed it so he couldn't escape. Remember, they, um, they had brought an ordinance to the king and had him signed it. Basically, it was a law saying that, that the, only, the, the only person uh, somebody could bow down to and worship was the king. You see, they knew that Daniel prayed three times a day to his big G, God. Morning, noon, and evening in front of the window where everybody could see because he wasn't ashamed. And that was their traditional, how they did that back then. 
And so they had this ordinance placed because they didn't like Daniel. But the king liked him. However, when, they found, when he found out that he was still praying to his God, per the law, they had to throw him into the lion's den. And so that's what happened. They threw him in there, placed the rock on top of the, the lid, so to speak. But even in a dark, sealed hole in the ground with hungry lions all around, God's love still pursues us. God's love still chases us. God's love still finds us. The next morning, Daniel said, My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me. Wow. That's just another wow how God's love always finds us even in the dark hole where we're at. He's always pursuing us. Of course, we have many lines around us today in this world. There's the lines of cancer, the lines of sickness, the lines of illness. There's all kind of lines that we have around us. But you know what? God can shut the mouths of those also. Amen? Amen? Because His love is always pursuing us. His love is always chasing us. I mean, just the love that's found in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And listen, if I could hold that soul out there for about three minutes, I still wouldn't be getting close. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loves us. I just had a, did a funeral for a friend of mine just a couple of days ago. And I was just thinking about that, but he is now forever alive. Amen. Eternal life means forever living with Christ. And so he was a professed believer, and so he has no pain, no, no blemish, perfect and complete, no illness. Uh, he's disease-free, cancer-free, forever with Jesus. Amen. We may find ourselves in a hole, but we still win the war. Amen. We still win the war. There's no ocean so deep. There's no darkness so complete that God's love can't find us. I think of Jonah all the time and his disobedience to God. I think of that story of how he told God, no, I will not go to Nineveh and preach. I will not. So he flees from God. He had seen God do all of these miracles in his life, but now he, he's running. He's running. These mighty men of God find themselves running from God at various times. So don't lose heart. Amen? Don't lose heart in times of struggle in our lives. Maybe there's somebody here today that's in disobedience. You've told God maybe yes with your lips, but no with your heart. That's the exact thing that I did when He called me into ministry. That's what I did. You know, I knew the story of Jonah. I knew how it ended. And I knew God was calling me to be an evangelist. He was calling me into the ministry. But I was horrified of public speaking. And so I told God, you know, I was thinking in my mind when he was drawing me into this ministry, calling me because it's a specific call. It's a specific call. And so he was calling me. I knew I had to say yes. I couldn't say no. It was going in bad for me. So I said yes with my mouth, but still no with my heart. And with my heart, I was saying, but I have to 
I have to get better at speaking to people. I have to, I have to do some more things. I have to, I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to, you know, yes, God, but yes, but in my mind, it's going to be a while. So God sent me through an ordeal in my life. And when I came out of that ordeal, you know what he had in me? He had all of me, right? He had 100% of me. And then I was relying on him to be able to stand up in front of people and not on my own accord. Maybe you're here in some kind of disobedience. And like Jonah, you have said no to God. All I can tell you is God's love will still pursue you. His love will still chase you. And His love will still find you no matter how deep the well goes. You see, I had to get swallowed up by my own personal well and get spit out on the place that he was intending me to go anyway. Sometimes you've got to go through something to see something. Maybe you've said no to God on mission trips. Maybe you said no to God on witnessing. Maybe you know you need to go to your neighbor's house and talk to him, but you find excuse after excuse after excuse, and you keep saying no. All I can say is one day you're going to find your own self in your own personal well. Be obedient to God at all costs. Amen? He will not send you where He can't sustain you. He'll even go before you. He'll put the words in your mouth. Yes, He will. Amen, preacher. In Jonah thir- uh, 1, verse 3, Jonah flees the Lord and went down to Joppa. He found a ship and went down to it. He got on the ship and went down into the bowels of the ship. Can I just tell you, sin always takes you down. Sin always takes you down. The men of the ship finally threw Jonah overboard and a big fish swallows him up. For three days and three nights, he's in the dark, stinky, slimy belly of a whale, a big fish. I'll call it a whale. I believe that's what it was. In the middle of the ocean. How bleak is it looking for Jonah? How desolate is Jonah feeling about this time? It's pitch dark. It's horrible. And this is what he says. And... Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the death of Sheol. You heard my voice. Verse 3, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All of your breakers and bellows passed over me. I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. I mean, how bad was that? How bad was this? Wow. Man, sometimes we go through different things in life. We find ourselves out in the weeds too. We find ourselves in different predicaments of loneliness, depression. Nobody loves me anymore. Nobody likes me at that church. I'll just stop going. We find ourselves in different um, times of, of, of maybe a loved one dies and we don't have them to kind of fall back and get their comfort anymore. We find ourselves just in a state of depression. But let me tell you, wherever you are in your life, wherever, 
whatever point you get to, however low it be, you can still call out to the Lord and He will hear you. He will answer you. That's His promise. That's His promise. And that's just what He did to Jonah. So Jonah goes and preaches in the big city and the greatest revival to ever take place happens. The whole city, 120,000 people come to know Christ. Wow! God's got something big for you on the other side of the stomach of the whale. He's got something big for you, church. He's got something big for you, sir and ma'am. And it's going to bring God lots of glory. Lastly, there's no isolation too deafening. There's no chain of bondage too strong. There's no concrete so thick that the love of God can't pursue you, that the love of God can't chase you, that the love of God can't find you. There's no prison so dark that He can't get to you. We look at in 2 Kings chapter 21, we see the most wickedest king ever. His dad passes away, King Hezekiah. And so, at a very young age, I think it's like 18. I, th- I think it's around, he's around 18. Manasseh, his son, becomes king. Whereas King Hezekiah was a godly man. Did, did everything to bring honor to the Lord his God, uh, turned the whole nation of Israel back, back to God, and everything was clicking along good. He was a godly man. He did righteous in the eyes of the Lord. So his son was just the opposite. His son Manasseh did evil in the sight of the Lord. His son Manasseh was, quite frankly, just the worst of the worst. I don't think there's ever been a more evil man. Hitler couldn't hold his water. I mean, it was, he was bad. He was, he was awful. He was horrible. The Bible says that he killed so many innocent people. He ran the whole city full of innocent blood. Innocent blood from one end to the other. Innocent blood. Who did he kill? He killed women. He killed children. He killed old people. It was horrible. It was horrible. He was the most wickedest king in the Bible. Probably the most wickedest guy ever. And so God allows him to get captured. And he is thrown by hooks and other things into a Babylonian prison. This is a very dark inner Babylonian prison. And it just doesn't get any worse than where he's at. It does not get any worse than that. This is a horrible place. But even about all the bad things he did, even with his demonic lifestyle of letting other people worship whatever they wanted to, he welcomed all kind of demonic spirits into Jerusalem and whatever they wanted to worship was fine. He even erected different altars to different gods and all kind of stuff. He was just horrible. And while he was in this prison, he was very well secluded and and guarded and, and watched because he was a hated, hated man. And there are no walls so 
thick. There's no concrete so thick, so thick that God's love can't pursue us or chase us through. And so here, Manasseh finds himself over in Second Chronicles chapter 33. He finds himself on his knees, and the Bible says he humbles himself greatly before the Lord. He calls out to him. And God forgives him of all of his sins. He forgave Manasseh of all of his wrongdoing. Got him out of the prison and restored him back to the kingdom. And that's when he tore down all of the altars he had erected to other little g-gods. He tore them down and threw them outside of the city. And he turned the city, he turned the folks back to the one true God. But I think it's very neat here that God's love will pursue us and chase us and find us no matter what prison we are locked in. And I don't mean just a physical prison. I, can, I mean a mental prison because, I mean, we're not going to be, most of us are not going to be locked in a physical prison at some time. Amen. Although it may come to that one day if we keep serving God. Some of y'all will get that later. But God's love always pursues us. God's love always chases us. And God's love always finds us. I'm going to close with this. See, there's nothing that the blood of Jesus can't cleanse you from. There's no slate of so full of nastiness that He can't wipe clean. There's no amount of drugs or alcohol or murder or lying to others about your salvation that He can't save you from. There's no amount of religion heaped upon you that He can't get to you. Because in a lot of churches I go to, there are a lot of very religious people in our churches. Not so many people are addicted to drugs and alcohol and, and have... Uh, chains of things that need to be broken. There are, some, I, 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 there are some, absolutely. But there are a lot of religious people in our churches. They come on Sunday morning. They think I'm a good person, right? And up against the world, up against society, we are good people, right? Based on the stuff they're doing. We're not out looting and rioting and killing and stealing. No, we're not doing that. So based on that, we're good people, right? But Jesus says there's not one that's good. No, not one. And so there's a lot of religious people in our churches today. I talk to them. I've gone around to churches um, before I've preached and I've started with people in the back and I'll ask them, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Oh yeah, I think so. I'm in church. Okay, why would you go to heaven? Well, I'm in church. I'm a good person. That's the wrong answer. Many of our answers today would be just that. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. I say my prayers at night. But Jesus told Nicodemus, hey Nicodemus, even though you preach, even though you teach, if you're not born again, Nicodemus, you're not going to heaven. And so you must be born again, period. Flat out, you must be born again. And that's where he takes our sins, right? He casts them away. He washes us white in the snow and makes us a new creation all on the inside. And then he comes and indwells us. He comes to live inside of us. That's what gets you to heaven one day. That's what gets your eternal life whenever you make that decision to place in your faith and trust in Him. See, it's not just about heaven. It's not just about heaven. Heaven is a result 
of what we do when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, right? I mean, we get heaven then, but we get eternal life now, right? We get the things God, we get the, ooh, I'm excited. I'm talking too fast. We get the thing, things that God brings to the table every single day, like his peace, his comfort, his guidance, guidance, his wisdom, his direction, all of this stuff that the Bible promises us, we get when we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And then one day when we take our last, our last breath here, we will take our first breath in heaven. Amen. But if you're not sure if you died today, if you'd go to heaven, and you want what God brings to the table every single day, what are you waiting on? Maybe you too realize today, you know what? I have been religious. I haven't placed my faith and trust in Christ. I've never been born again. Listen, not too long ago, at another church, I get this text, right? I get this text from a friend of mine. I don't think I've told y'all this. My friend, I think he's like, he's like 82 years old, right? His wife texts me. Now, this guy has been a deacon in the church since he was this tall, right? He, he's, he, he volunteers for the church. He does everything in the church. He's a, he, I mean, on the outside, I'm like, wow, what a godly man he is, right? She sends me a text. So-and-so just got saved. He just gave his life to Christ. I was like, what? That's great. That's great. The next Sunday, she said, she said he's going to make it public the next Sunday. I went back to that church, right? I went to that church because I wanted to see that. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to see what happened when that 82-year-old deacon walked up before the church and said, I got saved just the other day. And he testified. He said, man, I, for so long, I just I wouldn't give in to Jesus. I kept listening to Satan because Satan would tell me, well, what would, what would the head deacon say? Um, what's the pastor going to say? What's my wife going to say? What's all those people going to say? Finally, he said, you know what? I don't care anymore. If I'm going to go to heaven, I've got to trust Jesus now. Amen. And so that's what he did. He placed his faith and trust in Christ. And he wasn't ashamed. For the first time that day, I saw that man raise his hand in church and worship God. He was not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed. But he had a decision to make that day. He had to say, you know what? I don't care what other people think. And quite frankly, all we did was rejoice. But you've got a decision that maybe you need to make today. Maybe you need to place your faith and trust in Christ because you ain't promised tomorrow. I just preached a funeral two days ago. By the way, he didn't know he was about to die. He, he had a sudden death. He had some blood clots in his lung that took him out immediately right then. Please stand. This is all I know. God has got you right here, right now. And His love has been pursuing you. His love has been chasing you. And His love has found you right here today. You've heard the gospel. You know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you know Jesus is the Savior. And if you want to give your life to Him, I would say be obedient to His knock on your heart and come down and give your life to Christ. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Please come down now if you want to give your life to Christ. Come on.
I'll, I'll meet you down front. Don't push God's love out of the way. Come on. If you need to give your life to Christ, come on. 